We've been in the book of 2 Corinthians since uh, October, and uh, today we've come to the end of a book that I've really come to love. I hope you've enjoyed it. I think it's, it's helped me as a pastor to see where my focus needs to be. Um, as you all know, we go verse by verse, and so each week, we, sometimes we take a couple verses, depending on how much we have to cover. Sometimes we'll take a paragraph. Sometimes we'll take a chapter. But we just continually go verse by verse. It's the final words of 2 Corinthians. But I want you to understand, these are the words of God. The words of God. Um, I said, I know there are a lot of people... A lot of teachers, pastors skip over the ending of a book like this. And I'm not trying to say we're better than them. I'm not trying to judge wherever the Spirit of God is leading something to do. All I'm trying to say is that I believe every word is inspired by God. Last week I said that all Scripture is God-breathed. And you looked at me like, you sure that's in the Bible? So I'm going to show you, right? 2 Timothy 3.16 it says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The next verse says, so that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. But let's focus on that. All scripture is breathed out by God. I don't know if you've ever read in the Bible about God's breath, but his breath is powerful. And when God made the first man out of dirt, the elements of the dirt, and he formed that man, that man was not alive, named Adam. And it says that God breathed on him. God breathed into his nostrils, and he became a living being. The breath of God gave him life. And you need to understand, in a spiritual sense, in a spiritual sense, you are dead spiritually until God breathes spiritual life in you. And that's what the Word of God can do. And so the, the Bible that you have, that you own, is the breath of God that can breathe on your mind and give your mind life. It can breathe on into your soul. But some of you, your Bible, the breath of God... You think it's religious homework, so it's in your closet, or it's in your trunk, or it's just sitting there beside your bed, all dusty, right? By the way, that dust is you, so <laughs> you need to know that too. And that's why, that's why you might want to read your Bible more and get ready, because outwardly we're wasting away as we learned in this great book, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day. And that comes from the breath of God through Scripture. So let's look at this. Let's look at the final words. I want to see words of conviction, words of dedication, words of affection, and then words of benediction. So number one, words of conviction. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize that this is about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you. Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed 
the test. Now, to understand the context of that, remember that the Corinthians are examining Paul whether or not he's a true apostle. And Paul has had to, uh, he's had to, um, you know, protect that and teach that. And so now he kind of turns the tables on them, right back on them. Hey, you guys have been examining me. You guys need to examine yourself to see whether or not you're a true Christian. And I think what he's saying is, if you're a true Christian, you're going to find out that we, we apostles have not failed the test. So are you sure? He's saying, are you sure Jesus Christ is in you? That is a good question for you, you know. And I've had people, it's one of the most asked questions, <clears throat> how do I know that I'm truly a Christian? How do I know that I'm truly saved? It's very important. On one hand, I will tell you, we know that Jesus told us that there's multitudes of people who claim to be Christians, but they're not, right? Jesus said, not everybody who calls me Lord is gonna enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he talked about how many will say to me on this day, didn't we do all this religious stuff? And Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. That's kind of scary. So many times we see this in the Bible. So, so that is, we have to examine ourselves to make sure we're not in that crowd that thinks we're a Christian, but we're not. But I also know that Jesus does not want you to doubt your salvation if you're a true believer. And I've found that it's usually the true believer that's worried about their salvation. Um, so there's a lot we could say about it, probably do a whole sermon on it. But I want to show you some verses that I think are the key. Um, I'm going to read from 1 John. If you, if you are looking for assurance of salvation, I would read 1 John. I think it's also good if you're a new Bible reader. 1 John is very good. Um, and at the end of John, John says in the, the, the last chapter, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. He wants you to know. Well, watch what he says here in chapter 1, verse 5, he says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. God in the Bible is seen as light. God lives in unapproachable light, but yet it's also speaking about a spiritual sense. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't walk in darkness anymore. The darkness of this world the world of sin, the world of selfishness. And so what John is saying here, if you are a true Christian, and as Paul asked, examine yourself, if Jesus is in you, 
then you should be walking in the light. In other words, you should be going toward the light. But if you're still going to the darkness of this world, then he says, you deceive yourself. And so we all sin. I've been saying this. We all sin. I sin up here. This is, this is imperfection going after perfection. So I'm an imperfect man, a sinful man. But now I want to go in the direction of perfection. I will not be perfect until I get to heaven and have my new glorified body. But we go in that direction if we are walking in the light. And I like what it says. If we're walking in the light and you're having fellowship with other believers, you love being in church with other believers, you're trying to go toward the light, you're trying to stay away from the darkness. It's like automatically sins that you commit during the day that you don't even realize you're committing are just obliterated because you have put your faith in Christ. Um, so let, let, let's, let's read on, let's read on, and I'll make the point I want to make. Verses 8 and 9 says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So if you don't think you sin, and you don't think you need a Savior, and you just think you're a good, you're a good Christian because you come to church and do good things, but you don't, you don't think that you sin, he says the truth is not in you. So I'm telling you right now, to be a Christian, you have to realize that you are a sinner and cannot save yourselves. That's what he's saying. Verse 9. If... We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So one verse says, it's just like automatically your sin is cleansed. And then this next verse says that we should confess our sins and God will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I want to explain this to you. You see, when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven past, present, and future. God, from heaven's perspective, I'm not a sinner because Jesus has already removed my sin. God already sees me in heaven. He already sees the future. You're a Christian, God already sees you there. Your sins are forgiven. They're gone. They're done. Jesus says, it is finished. You've come to him. You have no sin. You're not a sinner. But yet, wait a minute, Frank. It's telling us to confess our sins. Okay? From heaven's perspective, we have no sin. From earth's perspective, we still sin. It's interesting when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet setting an example of we need to be servants. When he came to Peter, Peter said, no way, Lord, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus said, Peter, if I don't wash you, you, you have no part with me. So Peter says, okay, wash all of me. Just give me a bath, Lord, I'll take it, right? And Jesus says, but no, you don't, you don't need a bath, Peter. You just need a little cleansing here. You need a little teaching. Because Jesus was talking in the future sense, Peter, I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to get rid of all your sin. 
So in that sense, you don't have sin, Peter. But in this moment on earth, I've got to teach you about being a servant. And I've got to teach you about running away from sin and putting your focus on God. We don't confess our sins to for God to forgive our sin. We confess our sin because it restores the relationship. I've been studying theology a long time. I know that all my sins are forgiven. So why do I need to confess it? Because I love God. Because if he lives in me, when I sin, I can't enjoy it. I talked about it last week. I can't enjoy it anymore. So when I sin, it convicts me and it makes me want to confess my sin. That's a way you know if you're a true believer. If your sin bothers you and you find yourself confessing sin, but if you can just continually be selfish and sinful, talk like the world, act like the world, do everything the world does, and then just think you're a Christian because you attend church or pray to prayer, you know, 30 years ago, I'm worried about you. I'm worried about you. I'm saying that if Jesus is in you and you examine yourself, you are going to go toward the light and you are going to confess your sin and you are going to grow in your salvation. Something that's not growing is usually dying or dead. So one way to know, examine yourself. Are you growing? Are you walking in the light? Uh, do you confess your sin? Are you convicted about your sin? And do you love the fellowship of other believers in Christ? I want to make a statement to you, because if you struggle with assurance of salvation, you're a Christian, but you always struggle with assurance, it's probably because you're focused on yourself and, and what you're doing instead of what Jesus has done for you. I want to make a statement. It's not a famous statement, because I made it up this morning, okay? But it should be famous. Okay, talking about myself now, I gave up trying to be perfect to trust the perfect one to perfect me. Let me say that again. I gave up trying to be perfect to trust the perfect one to perfect me. When I was a young Christian, you know, I, I just was trying to be this perfect Christian now. I'm a Christian. I got to be perfect. I got to do... And, and obviously I couldn't do it, could I? Because no one can. So, and I was just always worried. Am I really a Christian? Man, I keep messing up. I keep doing this. I keep saying this. And, and, and so I just finally realized I can't do it. Why do I keep beating myself up? And then I realized I've got to all quit looking at what I'm doing and always be reminded of what Jesus did for me. That's why we take communion. We'll be taking it next week, right? To remind us that it's Jesus' work, not ours. And if we go toward Jesus and grow in Jesus and get the breath of God, the breath of Jesus in us through the word of God, he perfects us. He now does the work through you. So lay up off on yourselves. Quit trying to be perfect. You never will be. Let God perfect you. And when you sin, just confess it. Just confess it. It's gone. And then 
As Paul says, I've got to forget the past. I've got a lot of sins in my past. He says, but I'm going to press on to the future. A lot of you have past sins in your life and you can't let them go. And let me tell you, I've got some past sins that still haunt me. But all I can do is come back to the cross and the grace of Jesus that He's forgiven me. And His blood has washed me. And so I trust Him to perfect me. So I hope that helps you today. Second thing we see in this closing, in the final words, he talks about words of dedication. Verse 7. He says, But we pray to God that you may not do wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. Paul's saying there again, it's, it's, it's sarcasm. It's Holy Spirit-filled sarcasm. But it's like, so he, Paul is saying to them, even if you think I'm wrong, even if you think I've done wrong, he says, I want you to do what's right. My prayer is for you to do what's right. Paul says, we are dedicated to pray for you. We are dedicated to help you. Wow. That's character there. I mean, can we do that? When somebody else is accusing us, falsely accusing us of doing wrong, or they don't like us, or we're not doing it the way they should do it, can we, can we have the character to still pray for them, that they grow in their faith, that they get closer to Jesus? Christian leaders, we need to be that way because there are times when there's persecution and we get attacked and there's, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in a church and it gets hard sometimes. But we've got to keep, we've got to keep looking to Jesus and we can't get so insecure and so selfish that we push people away that don't like us or don't agree with us. We need to try to always pray for them and always reach them. That's what he's saying. I love that. It's a great lesson. And then he says in verse 8, for we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. I love it. Uh, he started off with saying, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. He doesn't say, hey, examine yourself to see if you have faith. He says, examine yourself if you are in the faith. Big difference. The faith is the body of Christ if Christ is in you. And now he says, we can do anything only for the truth. Not just what is true, but what is the truth. And what is the truth? Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. He's saying, I am the only way, and I'm the only truth there is. And I'm the only one that can give you life. Any other way leads to death. So what is truth? Jesus Christ. It's a person. It's God. Uh, it's not only a person. It's God's word that I talked about. The breath of God. Um, John. Let, 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 me, let me show you this first. Let me show you John 18. John 18, 37 through 38. Jesus is standing on his trial about to go to the cross for our sins. He's talking to Pontius Pilate. 
He's, Jesus tells Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. And then watch what happens here. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone is of the truth, listens to my voice. And then Pilate says, what is truth? Pilate had truth standing right in front of him, and he rejected it. And that's, that's the thing. Right now, you're hearing the truth. And so, do you want that truth? Do you want to submit to that truth and follow that truth? Jesus said the truth will set you free. So, we want, to, we want the truth. Uh, here's a verse, John 17, 17. Jesus is praying for the apostles. He also prays for us in uh, John 17, and I think this applies to us. It says, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. What's that? The Bible. Anything God says. Scripture. It's God's breath. Wait a minute. Frank, I thought you said Jesus is the truth. Now you're saying the Bible is the truth. Because the Bible is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. From Genesis 1-1 to the, to the end of Revelation. It is God's truth. We have all these discussions and divisions in our world today going on, chaos in the world. How do we know what is the truth? You've got to look to Jesus and you've got to look to God's word and you'll be on the side of truth. And that's what we need to stick to. And I don't know where you get your truth from, but you better be getting it from Jesus Christ because he is the only truth. He is the only truth. All right, I'm going, to make an, I'm going to make another. There's another statement I came up with today. And I don't, you know, I don't know. Maybe I subconsciously read this stuff somewhere, so I don't need any credit for it. And, but listen to this statement. The Bible either changes you or you try to change the Bible. Let me say that again. And this, this goes for everybody who's alive today. The Bible either changes you or you try to change the Bible. So basically, either you come to Jesus Christ, you submit to him. That's why we call him Lord. That means whatever he says, whatever he does, that's what we're going to do. If it doesn't agree with our politics, politics go and Jesus comes. And so that's what I'm saying. So you got all these people in the world claiming to be Christians but they change the Bible to fit their view, their political view, their religious view, whatever they want God to be. And guess what? Until you submit to the word of God and submit to Jesus Christ, you're not a Christian. So all these people out there claiming and using the Bible for their own purposes, I pray for them. I pray for them, and I pray that... Uh, before it's too late, they come to the truth of Jesus Christ. Uh, verses 9 and 10, Paul says, For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. 
For this reason, I write these things while I'm away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. So Paul is saying, hey, if you see me as weak, that's okay. <laughs> We're praying that you be strong. He's just his character. He's like, I'm not worried about myself. I'm worried about you. That's what love does. Love denies self to, to love the other person. Um, and he says, you know, he's telling the Corinthians, and if you know, we went through 1 Corinthians, the Corinthians were doing the craziest things. The Corinthians were just crazy. And so Paul had to constantly be on them to turn away from these things they were doing. And, and Paul's just saying in this closing, I want to come and visit you again. But this time when I come, can I find you doing the right things, please? I don't want to come and be an apostle and have to be on your case. You know, I think, I think every good father that works hard all day and then knows he's got to come home to the, to the kids and he wants to come home. He doesn't want to come home and moms tell you all the bad things the kids are doing. Now dad has to discipline the kids. Dad wants to come home and find the house at peace. He wants to come home and have fellowship with his family and kids. And let's have a good night together, right? That's what we all wish would happen. <laughs> and, and I do think a Christian family, God helps make that happen when we submit to him. But that's what Paul's trying to say. Is, guys, I don't want to come. I don't want to come and have to confront you guys. I want to come and just have fellowship. Let's fellowship about Jesus and what God has done in your life. And I want to tell you, I should tell you this. You, when we read Romans, at the end of Romans, it indicates that the Corinthians welcomed Paul. So this is good news. That he was there with the Corinthians. He went and saw him again and restored the fellowship. And things were going well. So that's, that's good to know as we've been studying this book. And I want to point out, before I go to the next point, he says, your restoration is what we pray for. Your restoration. Uh, in the Greek, it means we want you to be made complete. We want, you, we want to perfect your soul. We want to... If you're falling apart, we want to put you back together. That's what he's saying. Uh, we, have, we have several men in our church, more, probably more than several. We have, a, we have a lot, let me say this, we have a lot of men in our church at work construction. And a lot of it has to do with restoration, which means they put your, when your house falls apart, they put your house back together, Right? That's, that's the point of this word of what Paul is saying. My prayer is I want, I want to put you back together. I want to make you complete. You're here today and your life is a mess. God's desire is to clean up your mess. People think, well, I got, uh, I'd come to church, but I got to clean my life up first. No, you come to church and let God clean you up because you can't clean yourself. Yeah, people, people say this all the time. I've got to get my life. I've got to put my life together. For I, no, you can't put your life together. It'll never happen. You come and say, God, I can't put my life together. Will you please put my life together? 
And God will answer that prayer. And he will put you back together. I heard a pastor say one time, he said, you know, Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall. Humpty Dumpty had that great crash, you know. And uh, what does it say? All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. But the pastor says, yep, they couldn't put him together. But the king can. The king can. This world, doctors, psychologists, psychiatrists, they'll give you an, answer. They'll give you an aspirin. Sometimes it works. Christian psychologist, I would recommend. But I'm going to tell you something. The king can cure your disease. And the, the king can put, restore your soul. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He puts my broken soul back together. This is the desire for Paul, for the Corinthians. This is the desire for God, for us. That we would put our faith in Jesus, be dedicated to the truth. And the breath of God is word. And God will make us whole. Number three. Let's look at words of affection. He's really, he's really coming to the end now. Verse 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. So... Paul is known as the apostle of rejoicing. There's something about rejoicing that is powerful. Paul said in Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. He said that from a dungeon. And so somehow, some way, in the midst of our dungeons, in the midst of our trials and sufferings, we have to find a way to rejoice. It's not that, ha-ha, we're happy that we're suffering. It's just... There's an inner joy that we know God has purpose and God is with us. And then he says, aim for restoration. That's always the aim. Always to build someone up. And I also think it means to restore relationships. Always try to restore a relationship. Especially in the church. Things happen in the church where, where people say hurtful things to us, do hurtful things. But, but God is calling us, He's saying, aim to restore things. Don't give up. Yeah, yeah, there are times, there are times. I mean, the Bible also says, warn a divisive person once, warn them twice. After that, have nothing to do with them. Somebody that's trying to cause division in your church. Sometimes you have to move away from somebody that's divisive that's toxic, right? We, we understand this. But Paul says the aim is always, the goal is always to try to bring restoration, to try to bring peace to a situation. He says, comfort one another. That's our job. That's our job as believers. We need to comfort one another in our pain, in our sorrow, in our weakness, to strengthen one another. That's what the church is for. And then he says, <clears throat> we need to agree with one another. What? 
agree with one another? Are you kidding me? You know, my wife pointed out to me last week, I was talking about the false teachers and, you know, how there's no apostles and there's nobody getting revelation from God, and that's all true, and they're not doing the real miracles of the Bible, and, and that's all true. But my, my, my wife wanted to point out, you need, don't, don't let the people believe that God can't do miracles, okay? And she, that's a good point by my wife. I'm not saying God's lost his zip. I'm not saying that God can't do a miracle. But, I, but I'm, saying, I'm saying God is powerful. But I'm saying men can't do it. God would do it if it happens. But there are, there are different kinds of miracles. And let me tell you something. You know what would be a miracle? If we come to church and agree with one another. That would be a miracle. That would be a miracle. And I don't think Paul means that we're going to agree on everything. And he's definitely not talking about all, all the, what the unbelievers are doing in our world. We don't agree with that. He's talking about within the church that we come in Jesus Christ. He wants us to have unity. I, I think, I think it, what it would mean is we need to learn to agree to disagree sometimes, right? And I think we need to agree on the main things. Keep the main things the main things, right? We agree on the big things. So, so if we're going to paint the church and half the church wants this color and half the church wants that color and we can't agree on it, that's not a big deal, right? But we can all agree that Jesus is God and that he died for our sins and he wants us to have unity, right? So we can let, we can let it go if they don't choose our color of the church, right? I hope so. Be surprised. <laughs> And so many other things. What I'm trying to say is so many other things are secondary. Let it go. Let your leaders make decisions and trust them. Let it go if it's not your decision. If people don't agree with you, that, you know, let it go. Agree to disagree. He's saying strive for unity. Always agree on the main things. But don't argue over stupid stuff that's not going to matter in eternity. So we agree with one another, and he says, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. So if you're not living in peace with someone, God's not with you. God is always with you. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. But what he's saying is, the God of love and peace will be with you. You will experience him. You will feel God's love. You will feel God's peace. When you start being a peacemaker, in these things so and I would say to you the reason why you don't have peace in your life and the reason why there's so much anxiety and stress is because you're not striving for God's peace to have peace with God confess your sin turn from sin and to have peace with people of God strive for that and, and, I'm, and I'm telling you you won't have to pray for it the peace will come You'll experience the peace and the love of God. So th this is all good stuff as we end. Verses 12 and 13 says this. Greet one another with a holy kiss. So during our greeting time, did everybody kiss everybody? Huh? Yeah. Well, as you know, in this culture, in ancient times, in ancient times, men would hug and kind of give a little kiss on the cheek, you know. I'm glad we've changed that. Um, 
And uh, we have some people that still do it because they like to try to give you COVID. But, uh, <laughs> but the, the truth is this. Oh, remember this. Remember, remember Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss because that was the custom. But that was an unholy kiss, wasn't it? It was fake. It was hypocrisy that he would kiss Jesus to betray him and give him up. I think that's, this is the point. As believers, when we are affectionate with one another, when we give each other a hug or we give a, each other a handshake, Paul is saying, make sure it's authentic. Make sure it's not hypocrisy, that you're pretending that you really care about people, that you really love people in the church, and that your, your greetings are are sincere. That's what he's saying. In verse 13, he says, and all the saints greet you. He's saying, um, not only are you to be one with each individual and love them, but he's, Paul says, remember this, we're all in this together. All the churches that believe in Jesus Christ are together. And, and Jesus wants unity with that. And, and I will tell you, I... I'm convicted about it. I strive so hard. I want to have unity with other churches. And I will tell you, you want to know why it's so hard? Because when churches are teaching false things and leading people astray, it's so hard to be unified with them even though they teach about Jesus and believing in Jesus saves you. You understand what I'm trying to say? Not long ago, we, we went to an event um, it, was, it, was, it was just about praying for our country. And it was at a church that I knew was believed different than us about some things. But I, you know, I thought, man, we need to go. I'm just going to go, and I'm going to try to have unity. I'm just going to go there. And they're Christians too, right? Man, we went there, and they were saying the craziest stuff. They were totally being unbiblical, doing weird stuff, crazy stuff. And I, I told myself, never again. Never again am I going to bring my people to expose them to this. But it's so hard. But I will tell you to this day, if I would run into those people, I, I, would, I would try to be gracious to them. I would try to befriend them. You know, sometimes I point out false teachings and things. And I want you to know, when I get down from the pulpit, I'm teaching you. But when I get down from the pulpit, I'm now a regular citizen Christian. I try to be gracious with those that don't agree with me. You understand what I'm saying? And I do think God wants unity, but I'm just telling you it's hard. It's hard. But again, what do we do? We strive for it. We strive for it. And I think it's sad that Christians are so off track. And this is the thing. Christians are just so off track in so many ways. It, it confuses our world instead of the world hearing the gospel and seeing our love and it's sad to me, but, but you know what? We, we can't worry about everybody else. We can't judge everybody else, but we can do our best as Christians in our church to strive for these things that God uh, wants for us, okay? And then the final thing, the final thing that uh, Paul talks about here, he gives us words of benediction, and I love this. I don't know why anybody would want to skip over this verse because it's awesome. I guess maybe it's too basic for some people, but it, and this never gets old to me. 
the final verse of 2 Corinthians. Paul writes through the power of the Holy Spirit and he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Wow. That's, that's, a, that's a Trinitarian benediction. A benediction is a blessing. So at the end, you pray for your con- congregation. At the end, that's a benediction that we do. I might, I might bless you. I might say, God, bless these dear people that came to worship you and to hear the word of God. That's what a benediction is. So this is a Trinitarian benediction where, where he gets the whole Trinity in there, Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. It might stand out to you, usually when, you, when the Trinity is mentioned, like in the Great Commission, go out and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's usually the Father first, then the Son, then the Holy Spirit. It seems they, they seem to the Trinity, the persons of the Trinity are united in that way. Jesus is always trying to glorify the Father. The Holy Spirit is always trying to glorify Jesus, which brings glory to the Father. And it's such a beautiful thing to me, the the Trinity of God. Uh, Why is Jesus first here? Because I think what, what the Holy Spirit is saying, it's the grace of Jesus that allows us to experience the love of the Father. And that, that is all, the grace of Jesus is what has given us the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And, and I want to point that out to you. He started out today saying, is Jesus in you? You need to understand that the Holy Spirit wants to have fellowship with you. In the Greek, the word means communion. See, we've made communion kind of a ritual. And it's an important ritual. But communion... The ritual is designed to actually have real communion or fellowship with God, relationship, where you experience God, you talk to God, and God talks to you through his word. And it's real and it's beautiful. And so I just think people people get sidetracked by the Holy Spirit and think it's some kind of force that they're trying to tap into. Or it just makes you, you know, I pointed out, it makes you do bizarre things. Like, you get the Holy Spirit, you're going to climb up on the roof and say, can I mambo dog face to the banana patch? That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, has a relationship with you, and He is with you, guiding you, teaching you, breathing on you through the Word of God. And, and it, it's a beautiful thing. So embrace the Holy Spirit. Pray to the Father. Glorify the Father. Pray to Jesus. Thank you for his grace. And have fellowship with the beautiful Holy Spirit that wants to be a part of your life. You want to know when you're filled with the Holy Spirit? When you desire to be obedient to God's word. And when you are obedient to God's word, you will be filled with the Spirit. It's not you trying to muster it up or pray for it. You just obey God's word and the spirit comes alive in you. And, but it's up to you. See, so if you want to live in your humanness and you try to fix everything in your humanness, think everything, try to do everything with your human brain, you're doing it in the flesh. 
But when you seek the breath of God, the word of God, and follow Jesus, okay, that's when your life changes and God will do a mighty work in your heart and in the hearts of the people around you that God wants to use you to influence. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. We got something special for you in a minute. So here's our benediction, our benediction and decision time. If you're here visiting, if you're watching online, the whole Trinity, God, the one God who, li- who exists in three persons, we can't even understand it. God the Father loves you. God the Father will draw you to Jesus the Son who saved you by dying for you and shedding his blood for the forgiveness of your sins and rising from the dead. And he will give you the Holy Spirit that will transform your heart, your life. And when you examine yourself, you will see that you are going toward the light and that you are growing in your walk with Jesus Christ. Don't try to perfect yourself. Let Christ perfect you. So if you're here and if you've never trusted Christ, the first thing you need to do, number one, it's nothing works until you surrender to Christ and you say to God, God, I'm a sinner. God, I can't save myself. I need your mercy. I need your grace. The best I know how, I trust in Jesus who died for me. I put my faith in him right now. God, please put your spirit inside of me and help me to change. Help me to follow you. Christians, let's try to go to another level. We are, we are a small number. We are a small number in the midst of so many false Christians out there. And we need to focus on being true, being genuine and glorifying God in all that we say and do. I pray that your hearts desire. Father God, thank you.